from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, as the nation awaits the outcome in the presidential election, attorneys are being dispatched to states like Michigan where reports of irregularities have surfaced. Neither Joe Biden nor President Trump have reached the needed number of 270 electoral votes. What states will determine the outcome? What can we expect and when can we expect it? Former RNC chairman and chief of staff to Donald Trump, former chief of staff, Reince Priebus, joins me for this special post-election edition of Washington Watch uh, in just a moment. And how long should it take to count ballots? What is the process and how do we know there will be, well, let's say no shenanigans? Former Ohio Secretary of State, a veteran of the 2000 presidential election cycle, Ken Blackwell, is here on that topic. And as I mentioned, lawyers are headed to Michigan and elsewhere, where uh, in Michigan in particular, there is almost certain to be a court battle. J. Christian Adams, president and general counsel of Public Interest Legal Foundation, has attorneys already on the ground in Michigan, and he joins us. Also, I've been saying this for weeks. Don't listen to the polls and the media. The predictions were of a blue wave sweeping the nation. You know, Biden was going to capture the White House and the Dems would control Congress. There's just one problem for them. It didn't happen. The Republicans will maintain control of the Senate. They actually gained seats in the House. And no one is talking about what is happening at the state level, which will shape politics and elections for the next decade. We're going to talk about it here on Washington Watch today with um, members of the FRC team and uh, FRC action team. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is uh, at T Perkins. And by the way, tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time, you know, people have been calling me, hey, what do we need to do? What can we what can we do? Well, one thing we can do is what we've been doing all along. That is pray. And so tonight at PrayVoteStand.org, uh, we'll have a uh, prayer call hosted by former Congresswoman and presidential candidate Michelle Bachman, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, myself and others. That, again, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time at PrayVoteStand.org. Okay, election night is now stretching into night two. As the ballots continue to be counted in key battleground states, the early reports of a Democratic blowout, as I mentioned, have been replaced with reports of irregularities and have resulted in attorneys being dispatched to various states. While neither candidate has reached the needed 270 electoral votes, Joe Biden is leading at present. Joining me now to talk about what comes next in resolving the presidential election is former White House Chief of Staff to President Trump and former Chairman of the Republican National Committee, Reince Priebus. Reince, welcome uh, back to the program. I'm happy to be back with you, Tony. All right, so what? let's start with this. What are the key states that provide a pathway forward to re-election for Donald Trump? You know, I see a couple of pathways. One, obviously, you got to keep Pennsylvania if you can in your column. I think they do look good. Uh, they do look good with Pennsylvania. And so you have the, the 20 electoral votes there. And then you got to either add Nevada or Arizona. I'm more bullish on Arizona, and I'll tell you why. Right now, the deficit in Arizona is about 93,000 ballots in Arizona right now. There's about 600,000 of ballots that is believed to be outstanding 
that will be coming in. Now, you say, well, it's still, it's a lot, but making up 93,000 is tough. Well, those ballots are ballots that were sent or submitted uh, to the clerk's offices on the very last day of vote, on, on, on the day of voting, actually the Tuesday vote uh, dropped off. And the theory is, and to go back to something that you've probably been talking about on your show, Democrats tended to lean to voting early. Republicans tend to vote on Election Day. But in Arizona, 80% of the people vote early or absentee. That's why they get their votes counted pretty quickly. Um, and so the theory is, is that something like 55 to 60% of those 600,000 ballots are going to be Trump votes. I won't bore you with the math, but trust me, that net, if it's 60-40 on 600,000, that will net you 120,000 ballots. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is like some magical stroke that is 100% going to happen, but it is a pathway that does make sense, and that's what the Trump campaign was arguing with Fox News last night when Fox News called it for Arizona. That was what their data team was arguing to the people at Fox News. That gives you then 11 electoral votes, and that's more than enough to win the presidency for Donald Trump. Yeah, I was watching that last night as as Fox called that, and then immediately the campaign responding, not just, uh, you know, tepidly, but, I mean, jumping on that with all fours. And uh, so I, I figured their math was showing a different way forward. And, of course, the, the reason I wanted you on today to talk about this, because you did, a, I think, a fantastic job when you were chairman of the RNC in organizing the vote back in 2016. So I know you know math. I know, I know you know how to count votes. Yeah. So uh, it, it, uh, that looks like the, the most likely path forward. Now, let, let me ask you this, uh, Reince, because I know, again, you, you know this from – uh, 30,000 feet, and you also know it's sure. down in the trenches. What surprised you last night in terms of as things began to unfold and continue to unfold? Any surprises for you? You know what? I guess it shouldn't be a surprise to me, but I guess I was. You know, here's the thing. is Even though I went through it already in 2016, and I was a little bit more resilient to this this time, and I think we all were, in 2016, being told 20 times a day how bad you're going to get crushed in every battleground state in America and then experiencing the, the, the concept of, you know, the week before the election is really the week that our data projections for the president in 2016 became pretty good. And it was the weekend before the election that I thought, you know, I think we can. I think we might be able to win this. I mean, one of the reasons why we never abandoned Trump, everyone says, well, it wasn't guesswork. We actually knew before Election Day how many ballots ahead we were in Florida as opposed to 2012 when Romney ran. We knew going into Election Day, hey, we're 120,000 ballots ahead of where we were in 2016. And so I guess what surprised me yesterday is because I had to do CBS News pretty much from 7 o'clock at night until 3.30 in the morning. So I had to really be on my toes the entire time with what was going on. And I track all this stuff, as you say, carefully. 
And once again, the data and the operation of the party and, and President Trump nailed every single thing that happened as far as Florida being slightly behind an early vote, but we're going to catch him by 400,000 ballots on the ground on election day, going up to Georgia and winning Georgia. And we will keep Georgia. Then moving to North Carolina, slowly, you know, the, the absentee early votes came out. We're behind. And then slowly, okay, that's the election day people taking North Carolina. Same thing in Ohio. So one by one by one. And the reason why, and I knew, we knew that, I knew that Wisconsin, Michigan, we're going to be really tight. I knew North Carolina was going to be tight. It was always a little tricky uh, there. But the reason why Arizona is so problematic to me is that that same data that tracks all of these things that we follow, early vote absentee, Arizona was telling us that we were, at worst, we were maybe 50,000 to 30,000 ballots ahead on early, I mean behind on early absentee ballot voting with 20% to 25% on election day. And we knew that on election day, that vote would be much better for us than even the 80% in the, in the, in the box. And the reason is a lot of people, for whatever reason, you know, a lot of Trump fans, Republicans, conservatives, we like to go in person. We don't always trust the government of getting it right. But that Arizona piece really shocked me because we were tracking that we knew it was a we knew it was something we were fixing for weeks and and then to have to have this kind of happen to us with fox news saying you know this is to joe biden just puts you in such a box and you know um now you have to try to convince people that in fact it's not over so i mean that's been a part of this thing for the whole way is, as you talked about, the way the media every day you're hearing the polling, you know, Wisconsin. Uh, I think it was uh, the Washington Post had a poll that Trump was going to lose by 17 points. Uh, you know that state a little bit. That's where you're from. Um, right. And you and you hear these things day in and day out. And then it doesn't happen. My 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 question is, I guess, is this intentional by the media and the pollsters or is it they just really don't understand the American people? They're so out of touch. I think it's a little a combination of the two. I think both of them could be correct. Um, I think the problem is is that they're trying to test and measure for a straight-up Republican figure and a straight-up Democrat figure. And Donald Trump doesn't fit it. Donald Trump doesn't fit the normal you know, run-of-the-mill Republican running for president. In fact, there's a lot of people that could care less about politics generally. They could care less about the Republican Party or the Democrat Party, but they love Donald Trump. I used to tell people, when you, go, when you watch a rally and you see, and I love it, and you see people just going bananas at these rallies, mm-hmm. do you think any one of them are standing there saying, oh, I thank God for the Republican Party. I, I'm so happy I found a political party that I could be a part they could care less. They like Trump. And they could be Democrats. They could be anything. And they're crazy about the president. And and that's what the pollsters can't measure. That's number one. Number two, something's going on in, a di- in, in you know, the dichotomy between the rural voters of this country and what's happening in the cities is like Venus and Mars. 
Yeah. Because if you go about an hour and a half in your car away from Milwaukee, you're at a plus 30 Trump world as far as you can drive to Minnesota or the upper peninsula of Michigan. But you go into the suburbs and you're okay, you're bleeding maybe 5% worse than what you did in 2016. And the problem with pollsters, Tony, is, as you know from doing this, you're an expert at this, is that combining the plus 30 territory, which is off the charts for anyone running for office, and the very small bleed in the suburban areas, and then meshing it together, predicting turnout, and then telling the American people what's going to happen in Wisconsin with a Donald Trump on the ticket, that's the problem. And what about the Nate Silvers of the world? When are people going to say enough's enough with this insanity of telling us that we're going to get blown out in every state in America, including Ohio. Yeah. And it didn't happen. Yeah, I think they're more trying to shape the outcome than project the outcome. Uh, Ryan, so we're we're out of time, but one quick question. How soon before you think we know the final outcome of the presidential race? A month. Wow. That long. Well, well, I'm going to have to have weeks, you. Tony. I'm going to have to have you back on the program. We're going to have to talk more about it. Reince Priebus, as Tony. always, great to have you on the program, my friend. Reince Priebus, former uh, chairman of the RNC and the first chief of staff to the president, a great guy, and he does know his business. That's why I wanted him on today. All right. Speaking of knowing their business, Ken Blackwell, former Secretary of State of Ohio, uh, joins us next to talk about the process of counting these ballots. Don't go away. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I-, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll, it was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. 
We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, special post-election edition of Washington Watch. If you're watching on uh, Facebook, streaming this live, uh, hey, you can catch us every day, each and every day, TonyPerkins.com, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Also tonight, as I mentioned, at PrayVoteStand.org, we'll have a, a nationwide prayer meeting as we pray for integrity, uh, integrity in this process so that uh, any shenanigans, if you will, will be exposed. Transparency in the process. All right, speaking of that, um, I want to bring in our next guest, Ken Blackwell, former Secretary of State of Ohio. He served as Secretary of State from 1999 to 2007, which means he was front and center uh, during the 2000 election cycle in which we had uh, election challenges coming out of the state of Florida. He also travels the world uh, overseeing elections to ensure that there is integrity in elections, and he joins us now. Ken, thanks so much for joining us today here on uh, Washington Watch. All right, good to be with you. All right, uh, anything you see right now that is concerning to you as it pertains to the counting of ballots in some of these key battleground states? Well, I tell you, you, you hear stories in Philadelphia uh, and in Pennsylvania in general that are a little uh, alarming. Um, some concepts that we have to embrace to give integrity to the process. You know, we have to be able to follow the chain of custody of each ballot. When there are disruptions in the chain of custody and we don't know who's touched that ballot, uh, that punctures the integrity of the process. Validation. You know, were we sure that the person who delivered the ballot uh, was who they claimed to be. And, and that's why it's always important that we look to make sure uh, that uh, the the legal voter uh, has ca- can cast his or her uh, ballot, but that it is not counseled out by an illegal ballot. Uh, and then transparency. You know, I, this, this notion that observers, uh, legal observers of the process uh, are given binoculars because they, they can only go so far into a room uh, to, to see what's, what's, what's transpiring on the far end of the room. That's crazy. Uh, and that punctures the integrity that lowers the confidence of voters in the result. Uh, but I must say uh, that what's important now uh, is that we have bipartisan vigilance, uh, mm-hmm. that we stick this the process. Look, Tony, 
you and I have talked about this before. Some decisions within the state, Michigan, for instance, Wisconsin, uh, the results are falling within the margin of litigation. Right. Uh, and so a lot of this will be will be litigated, unfortunately. Uh, but it, that's that's a commonplace part or a common part of the process in America now in these uh, presidential elections. Yeah, given that the nation is so ideologically uh, divided. Speaking of that, let's go to Arizona. I just had Reince Priebus on talking about the, the path forward for the president for reelection is in Arizona. Last night they were quick to jump on Fox calling that for Biden because they, they know their numbers. They know what they're doing. They have a really good ground game. Um, but now uh, ballots being invalidated in Arizona because of Sharpies, saying that those are tainted ballots because they bled through. That's the type of stuff I would think, Ken Blackwell, that leads to lawsuits that could throw this uh, further into the courts. Oh, absolutely. And look, I, mysteriously to me, uh, Arizona was 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 called, uh, as I understand it, and I'm sure Rice probably uh, spoke to this. There are about 600,000 ballots out there, a little more, uh, that that were cast on Election Day. And they haven't been they haven't been counted yet. And those votes are breaking uh, for for the president and for someone to call Arizona as early as uh, as, as Fox and some of the other uh, stations called it uh, was is a little bit disquieting and, and, and concerning because now that some of these stations have pulled uh, networks have pulled back, uh, that is that is just raising the suspicion that something fishy is going on. And that's un, 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 unfortunate. But we have to stay vigilant. We have to demand transparency. Uh, and, I, you know, I think that uh, I predicted that this was going to come down to two states. When when the networks and the, and the major polling companies were saying that it was going to be uh, this wave, uh, this blue tidal wave, I thought it was going to come down to Pennsylvania and and Arizona. Uh, I didn't think the shenanigans would would, would take place uh, in in Arizona. Uh, Philadelphia is known uh, for dead people voting, so uh, I, I look for it to be a contest there. But it, it's coming down there. The president has a has a path to victory, uh, but it's going to demand that we 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 have voted. We we, we pray and that we take a stand demanding that the integrity of our electoral college is uh, is upheld. Let me ask you this question quickly on Arizona with, you know, the use of Sharpies. I mean, this this looks like first off, I mean, there's procedures in place. Every state has their own procedures, but it's done so that there's integrity in the system to do something like that, which would taint these ballots, uh, calling them to be soiled and have to be thrown out. Seems like either someone wasn't thinking or was this done intentionally? Yeah, I, I, at, at minimum, it, it was malpractice. Yeah, it's uh, and it's so important that we have integrity, transparency in the system, because this is how the two sides come to a consensus, if you will, an agreement of, of the transfer of power. We've got to have in place an election system that all parties have confidence in or our republic doesn't work. Absolutely. 
Uh, I think Georgia, uh, North Carolina will go the route of the president. Uh, this is going to come down to how, uh, the, excuse me, um, Arizona and uh, Pennsylvania are managed and, right. and our vigilance and, tra- and the transparency in the system. Ken Blackwell, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. All right, folks, stay with us. We're going to come back with more of this special post-election edition of Washington Watch. In just a moment, we'll be joined by uh, Jay Christian Adams, who has folks on the ground in Michigan already ready to go into the courts over what's happening there. And then we're going to give you uh, more information from some of FRC's experts on some good news. The blue wave wasn't even a blue trickle. The uh, the Republicans gaining seats in the House and retaining control of the Senate. That's coming up. Don't go away. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The Federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-life maps. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. If you're uh, joining the live stream on Facebook, you can catch us every day on the radio station near you or at TonyPerkins.com. You can find a whole listing of uh, the 800 stations that carry Washington Watch. All right, uh, this has not been a typical election in many ways. Uh, First off, the coronavirus had uh, people voting Early, a lot of people voting by mail. Almost two-thirds of the ballots were cast before Election Day. What does that mean? Well, it means that there are some issues. Joining me now to talk about what may come about as legal fights in some of the battleground states uh, is 
Jay Christian Adams. He is the president and general counsel of the Public Interest Legal Foundation and already has attorneys on the ground in Michigan. Uh, Jay, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Good evening, Tony. All right. Uh, you got folks on the ground in Michigan. What other states are you looking at where there appear to be irregularities? Well, we just fought a lawsuit about five minutes ago in Arizona, uh, and we filed that on behalf of people who had their vote denied because they were told to cast it with an ink pen, a Sharpie, as opposed to a normal pen that doesn't bleed through. And our client in particular was told to cast with a Sharpie, which she did, and then she later saw that her ballot was canceled. It didn't count because of the bleed through. So we brought a lawsuit on behalf of those people who had their right to vote denied. And uh, that's a real problem in Arizona because there's yeah. a lot of people who had that happen. Well, I was just talking about with Ken Blackwell uh, regarding that. How did that? I mean, this is a Sharpie that was given to them at the polling place by the, uh, the, 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 the folks there working there. How did that happen? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I, I, I'm not really sure, but it clearly caused a problem when it went off the rails as far as what you're supposed to use. And, you know, two-sided ballots have bleed through, and that's right. what the issue was. So what happens with that? You file a lawsuit. I mean, does this invalidate uh, every – I mean, what, will, what could be the possible legal outcome here? Well, first of all, we're asking for our client's right to vote to be respected. That's the main thing. But we've also pled that there's a whole bunch of people just like her, and we're asking uh, the, the, the election officials – to look at all of the ballots where this cancellation occurred and make an effort to allow people to fix it so their okay. vote actually counts. Okay. So you also have folks on the ground in Michigan. What are the issues there? Well, uh, you know, that's a little depressing, that story. I will tell you that um, uh, things actually went fairly smoothly in Michigan, and as, at least as far as the precincts where Public Interest Legal Foundation lawyers were. Uh, and I don't really have... Uh, anything nefarious to report about what we saw in Michigan. All right. Um, Philadelphia, uh, any issues going on in Pennsylvania? (laughs) Right. Uh, Let me count the ways. I mean, Tony, I have been warning about this outcome now since March. I and others who follow these issues every single day, that's all we do. When I was at the Justice Department, that's all we did is follow this. And I'm telling you, we saw this mess coming. Philadelphia is a is total chaos you have essentially a one-party rule in that city this lone republican named al schmidt who is ostensibly the republican on the city election board he's gone completely native he does whatever the democrats want so you basically have one party rule and what they did tony is they excluded they excluded people from watching the process one of the treasured principles of american uh, elections is transparency and so when you exclude people from watching you hurt the integrity of the process. So, uh, Jay Christian Adams, I had Reince Priebus on the program earlier today. He was running through the numbers, looking at Arizona, and you're right to be in Arizona because that's the pathway forward for a reelection for the president. Um, he says that it could be a month before we know the outcome of the election, given some of the irregularities. Your thoughts? Well, a month is all we have because December 8th, December 8th is the uh, certificates of ascertainment have to be sent to Congress by the, the governor or state election officials. And so we, we have a hard deadline. This can't keep going. 
Uh, but I think, in fact, we, we will know things sooner rather than later. Uh, Philadelphia, when, when they count the votes in Pennsylvania, I think the president's going to win Pennsylvania, the president's going to win Georgia, the president's going to win North Carolina, and the question will become, does the president win Arizona? If he wins those, he, become, he gets reelected, period. So do you think Arizona could end up in the courts uh, over this one issue with these uh, soiled ballots because of the bleed-through? It already is. We filed the lawsuit about well, an I mean, hour broad, ago. Broader than the individual ballots cast. Could it go broader than that? Was just this? Was this just in one precinct, or did this happen? Oh happen? no, no, no. This was systemic. This was an issue. Uh, this was an issue across multiple places. And uh, look, it already is there. We want those people to get the right to vote. The ballots keep coming in on uh, Tony, generally in Arizona, and they seem to be trending for the president. So, very strange decision to call Arizona like Fox News did so quickly last night when so many ballots were out. Wow, amazing. Jay Christian Adams, thanks so much. I know you're busy. You're a busy man. Uh, We look to you uh, for uh, insight on these legal issues because I know you've got an extensive background. So thanks so much for joining us today. Anytime. Take care, Tony. All right. Jay Christian Adams, president and general counsel of Public Interest Legal Foundation. Uh, Glad that he's on the case there in uh, Arizona. All right, when we come back, the blue wave, it, it didn't happen. It, it didn't happen. I mean, this was supposed to be a blowout for Joe Biden. Nancy Pelosi was supposed to be sitting upon an empire, and uh, Chuck Schumer was going to be running the Senate. As it turns out, the, the Democrats may have picked up one seat, possibly two, uh, in the Senate. And in the House, the Republicans are actually, have actually, as of right now, and there's still some seats still to be decided, They're five seats up. The Democrats have lost five seats. We're going to be talking about it with uh, our FRC experts, our in-house experts, next. Don't go away. We're coming back with more of this edition of Washington Watch after this. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through his word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out his meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. When President Donald Trump announced his nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, Critics were quick to point not to this qualified nominee's record, but rather to her religious affiliations as a reason she ought not be allowed to serve as a Supreme Court justice. In an increasingly secular culture, it is not only the media that views faith as problematic for those appointed to judicial positions. Senators, particularly Democrats, have inappropriately interrogated nominees with comments and lines of questioning spanning theology, congregation membership, and associations with faith-based nonprofits, all seemingly with the intent to discredit the nominees. Family Research Council recently released a publication addressing this important issue. 
To learn more about what the Constitution says about religious tests, visit frc.org slash religious tests. That's frc.org slash religious tests. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're uh, watching this live stream on Facebook, you can listen to us each and every day. 5 p.m. Eastern Time, TonyPerkins.com. You can find a uh, station near you. All right. As we were talking about the the polling, suggesting a blue wave. In fact, uh, Newsweek, uh, a couple weeks ago, had it listed 83.5%. Uh, chance that the Democrats would take control of the U.S. Senate, 83 percent. Well, it looks like now they may they picked up one seat, may pick up a second, maybe. Uh, we're waiting to see what happens in Michigan with John James, who is actually taking out, possibly taking out an incumbent. Um, and then the House. Um, Nancy Pelosi was supposed to pick up a dozen seats in the House. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Uh, we're going to take a look at this. Joining me now to uh, to talk more about this, uh, Connor Simmelsberger. He is the legislative assistant for the Family Research Council. Uh, Connor, give us a, a look at what actually happened in the House. Actually, some really good news about what happened in the House of Representatives. That's exactly right, Tony. Actually, the exact opposite of what the polls said actually happened. Right now, as it currently sits, uh, Republicans have flipped seven Democrat-held seats, which is great news. And even better news is a lot of these members winning these House races are really good champions on pro-life, pro-family issues. Two specific races, Michelle Fishbach, a great state senator out of Minnesota, beating longtime Democrat Colin Peterson there. And then Maria Salazar down in a, in a House district in southern Florida outside of Miami County, winning a lot of that Cuban vote. Another pro-life female member to be beating an incumbent Democrat. So really great news across the board. Even better news is all those top target districts that, again, Pelosi was trying to flip, those incumbents did exceedingly well. Key allies of ours, Steve Shabbat in Ohio, Ann Wagner in Missouri, Don Bacon in Nebraska, all not only won their seats, but won them by really large margins. And I want to underscore something that you, you said that people understand, that these Democratic members were uh, defeated not by moderate Republicans, marginal Republicans, but these are pro-life conservative Republicans that won these seats. 
That's exactly right. And you see this conservative coalition growing, becoming younger, more diverse. We have Madison Cawthorn, a 25-year-old, set to be the youngest member of Congress we've had in years, set to win uh, Mark Meadows' old seat in North Carolina, just really standing for pro-life, pro-family values, um, which cuts across everything we hear in the polls and in the media, that members need to moderate, need to become towards the midder, middle. That's what will win. Instead, it's those that are champions on life, champions for religious freedom that really have, have come to win these these key races now now Connor this has to be a, a um, I mean a big headache for Nancy Pelosi because now she's going to have uh, AOC and the squad breathing down her neck saying because she moderated she lost when in fact it was probably because of AOC and the squad pushing the Democratic Party to the left that they lost seats yeah, you're correct. You're going to see that that Democratic caucus even more fractured than before, um, seeing what what are the issues, finger pointing and, and and the like. And that's a great opportunity for for the the Republicans in Congress to to solidify behind those conservative values, to reject the ideas of socialism and the Green New Deal that the left is putting out, to really put forth good conservative policies that help families at home, help those that are in need financially, help those that uh, want their religious freedom protected, and really show that stark contrast between what Nancy Pelosi is offering and what, what those holding conservative values have. Connor, thanks so much for, uh, for that update. Obviously, still some seats out there. We'll continue to, uh, to track that and uh, get an update from you uh, later in the week. Uh, the Senate, as I mentioned, project- the projections were, actually, I think they were, again, they were trying to shape the outcome, saying that the Democrats were going to sweep the Senate. They were going to be in, cr- in control. Chuck Schumer was going to be running the Senate. They were going to pack the courts. Uh, they were going to create statehood for D.C. Um, it didn't happen. Uh, joining us now to uh, give us a look at what happened in the United States Senate, Mary Beth Waddell, Senior Legislative Assistant here at the Family Research Council. Mary Beth, uh, give us a, a sense of where we stand right now with the United States Senate. Hey, Tony, just as you said and just as we heard on the House side, things are looking really great for the Senate right now. We're going to have a much stronger caucus on our issues that are pro-life and pro-family, and we're excited to, to work with that new incoming Senate. Um, the six that we were really looking at that have shown strong were Danes, Ernst, Turbeville, the pickup we got in Alabama, Graham, Marshall, McConnell. All of these were, you know, really targeted by the left, and we came out strong because they're strong on our values. Yeah, last night Lindsey Graham said uh, it was a huge waste of money um, in terms of the biggest political waste uh, in history, probably the targeting of his race where they spent over $100 million, uh, I think $60 million against uh, Mitch McConnell. And, and quite frankly, both of them won handily in their races. Um, let's talk about some of the, you know, we're, we're John James still too close to call that race in Michigan. It's back and forth between him and the incumbent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, in, in Georgia, or in Alabama, rather, there's a pickup. Uh, so we're, 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 we've seen a flip of uh, Doug Jones's seat. Correct. Yeah, we're, we're excited to see that. Um, you know, d- Doug Jones had, had adopted some of these leftist uh, policies, and the, the people of Alabama, their values voters, and they decided to go with Senator Turbeville to, to really strengthen our caucus. And we're, we're excited to, to see that. Um, 
what other what other bright spots do we see in the Senate in terms of new uh, senators coming in that uh, are strong on the family issues? Yeah, as I said, uh, Senator Marshall will be the new senator for uh, Kansas. He's filling the open seat vacated by Senator Roberts there. He was a stalwart for us over in the House, and we're excited that he's now going to be in the Senate um, championing our issues as well. He, he was a stalwart for life, and he's a former physician, and so we're excited that he's going to be in the Senate. So actually, if, I mean, my summary on this, Mary Beth, my take on, on the Senate is that we kind of traded out some seats. We, we lost a couple, gained a couple. But what we did gain were actually stronger Republicans than what we had in there before. Cory Gardner, not, not extremely strong uh, on the issues. Um, McSally in Arizona, she, she did vote in this cycle with us. She was 100 percent, therefore we endorsed her. But she never really led out on these issues. These uh, potential replacements, certainly we know this with uh, Roger Marshall, uh, John James, if he makes it in there, uh, Tuberville, these are strong conservatives. Absolutely, and we're excited to see that. You know, as, as I mentioned, that we will have a much stronger caucus, um, you know, even if Mr. James were to lose and, and we're down by one from what we are now, we're going to have a stronger caucus uh, who's much stronger on life and on family and that those, those values voters, they got out, they prayed, they voted, and they stood. And they're out there, and, and we're glad to now have these guys in the Senate. All right, Mary Beth Waddell, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us, giving us an update on the Senate. And it's going to be good news for Mitch McConnell because he's going to have a more conservative Senate to work with um, when it comes to some of these hard votes and issues that he brings up. But this, uh, again, this blue wave that we were told by poll after poll, the media constantly beating this, that, uh, look, the American people rejecting Donald Trump, conservatism. It's just not the case. There's more news coming from the states. And that's extremely important because what, what happens at the state level, right? You know, you, fill, you filled out the U.S. Census reports. Remember, you got those things in the mail. You had to fill those out. Well, there's, they do a lot of things with those. Uh, and one of the things that they do is once they get the census, the number of the seats in Congress is based upon the population. It's a set number, and it sometimes shifts. If the state loses population, they may lose a congressional seat, and it goes to a state that's gained population. And so that's how they use the census. But then they, they redraw the lines. The state legislature will be tasked in the next year to redraw the congressional lines and the state legislative lines in each one of the states. So who do you want drawing the lines? Conservatives? Or liberals. So when you have conservative legislatures drawing those lines, you end up having more conservative members of Congress. That's one of the contributing factors to why we have a more conservative Congress in terms of the Republicans and more liberal, uh, because there's just very little ground in between. Obviously, the ideological divide in the country contributes to that, but also the drawing of the congressional lines. That's going to be taking place. So give us an update on what has uh, happened in the states in this election cycle as we're continuing to get that data in. Brent Kylan, Vice President of FRC Action. Brent, welcome back. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you. All right. So what are we seeing at the state level right now in terms of Republican, Democrat control of state legislatures? Well, Tony, similar to some of the things we saw at the other levels that you've talked about earlier on the show, uh, lots of predictions about these blue waves going to happen, and, and it, that did not materialize. Now, I will say some of these races are still being counted, and so we don't have the full picture, but we know a lot. 
We know a lot right now where we stand. And um, and as you mentioned, Tony, going into this, that redistricting was so important. There were a lot of resources going in to make the blue wave happen. There was a lot of money. There was a, a, a big uh, redistricting committee start targeting state legislatures, ones they thought were vulnerable in key states. It was being headed up by former uh, attorney general under uh, President Obama, uh, Eric Holder. So they were very strategic, put a lot of resources into this. But uh, again, it did not materialize. Uh, the results that we are looking at as of earlier today, there were some uh, trifecta states where the Republicans held the state house, state senate, and the governor races. Uh, liberals thought that those were vulnerable, w uh, went after them there. Uh, in states like uh, Iowa, Georgia, West Virginia, uh, unsuccessful. In, in, in flipping those. Uh, key swing states like North Carolina. North Carolina kept Republican majorities in their state legislatures in the state house in Michigan. They tried to flip the state house there. Republicans held on to that as well. So, um, and it's worth pointing out, you know, these are largely pro-life Republican majorities. These are, these are majorities that have, have stood on these issues. Um, so if you look at the breakdown, Tony, where we stand right now, if you look at just the states where it's the, the, the same party controls the state House and state Senate, Republicans currently own that majority on about a three to two breakdown. If you look at the states where there's a trifecta, one party or the other controls uh, state House, state Senate and governor, Republicans also have about a three to two majority there across the nation. And then if you want to just look at the governor's races, Republicans have a 27 to 23 majority there as well. Um, one of the states where we saw some positive outcomes, we talked about Senator uh, Steve Daines, but in Montana, we saw some very positive developments there in that state. That's absolutely right. Tony, in Montana, uh, uh, Steve Daines' opponent in the Senate race was the former governor, Governor Bullock. He vetoed the Born Alive uh, Abortion Survivors Protection Act, just a very fundamental piece of pro-life protection. We've talked a lot about that. Well, to replace him, we had, we had that race yesterday, and Greg Gianforte won that. He has been a strong advocate for faith, family, and freedom as a member of Congress. Now he's sliding over to that governor spot in Montana. They now have the state house, state senate, and a strong governor. So we are uh, really excited and expecting to see some great things out of Montana. Uh, Brent, let's talk a little bit about FRC Action Bold Advance. We, we talked about some of this last night on our election night analysis. But uh, FRC Action has had a team out on the ground in some of these key states doing, uh, doing work. Uh, share a little bit with our listeners what's been going on. So uh, with, uh, with some of our, our get-out-the-vote efforts, those have been happening over the last two weeks. We've had a fantastic group of people uh, working really hard, Tony, a lot of these key states. Now, we've been laying that groundwork, uh, yeah, for a couple of years, really building relationships and infrastructure. But then going into these final weeks, kind of this final push, uh, we've done voter contacts, direct voter contacts, so going to target voters in key states, knocking on their doors, doing phone calls. We made uh, over 1.3 million voter contact attempts over the final uh, two weeks. Uh, we talked to over 80,000 voters, so actually able to have conversations with them about the issues at stake, uh, about how important these issues are. We also knocked uh, over 100,000 doors, and then we had a field team working hard to get out these these materials that we have talked a lot about on the uh, the, the radio and the Prevote Stand broadcast. Uh, they distributed of just the voter guides. Uh, we estimate uh, 2.6 million voter guides across the country. Uh, uh, 
among a, a, a number of different outlets, just getting that uh, that material out there. So just a, a great team effort and really proud of what our team was uh, was able to do this year. Well, good job, Brent. Uh, as it comes down to just a few votes in a couple of these states, those doors that we knocked on may very well make the difference. So, mm-hmm. uh, Brent, thanks so mm-hmm. much for being with us. Thanks, John. And, folks, how should we respond to this, this uncertainty, um, as we go into day two of counting uh, these ballots and maybe a couple of weeks before we know the outcome? Uh, joining me now to, to kind of address that aspect of this, Joseph Backholm uh, here at the Family Research Council working uh, in our worldview and strategic engagement. Uh, so, Joseph, how should we approach this uncertainty? Well, Tony, I think uh, Christians should respond to this as we do everything with an understanding that God is in control. We need to pray. We need to continue to do our responsibilities. But I also think it's helpful at this moment to realize uh, some perspective and, and the fact that our government is not the most important thing in our lives, and it should not be. And, and our politicians do not determine the quality of our lives and the quality of our communities. They really are the fruit of the tree, and we are the tree. And so we just need to do the things that we should do every day. Be great parents, good, be great husbands and wives, and great neighbors and great friends. And, uh, and then pray for the right outcome, because, of course, this stuff does matter. But in days like this, sometimes a perspective is called for. You're absolutely right. Uh, tomorrow we get up and we do the same thing we did today. Uh, we serve the Lord, we advance his kingdom, and we stand for truth. Joseph, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thank you. And, folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. Let me remind you, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time, join us for prayer. PrayVoteStand.org will be led by uh, former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, Pastor Jack Hibbs, and myself. You can join us 8 p.m. Eastern, PrayVoteStand.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.